gospel call today. Get chapter 6. Chapter 6. Uh, when I talked to you just uh, this morning on recognized, unrecognized hometown uh, heroes. And, uh, just a couple of things I want to mention and ask you to be praying about. Pray for Brother Steve, who's home recovering from uh, ankle replacement surgery. And uh, up until he said he was going to have it, I never knew they could do such a thing. So, uh, but uh, pray for him as he recovers. Uh, he's at home and uh, has to stay off his foot for six weeks. And if you know Brother Steve, that's not going to be an easy feat. So uh, just uh, pray for him as recovers and for Alice and uh, the physical therapists that are working with Brother Steve. And uh, <laughs> just uh, pray his recovery goes well. That would be praying for the families that have been affected by these tornadoes that came through our state uh, three weeks ago um, and wiped out uh, a couple towns um, and destroyed hundreds and hundreds of homes uh, and left thousands of Mississippians uh, homeless. Um, and they really need our continued prayers. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, there's also you don't appreciate or really know what you have until it's gone uh, and there's a lot of truth to that uh, and those folks are recognizing that um, and so uh, continue to pray for those families and pray for those that have come helping uh, work uh, to help them uh, Red Cross and several other organizations have come uh, over a thousand different ones from uh, all over the country have come to Mississippi to help uh, those that are, uh, you know, that have been impacted. Um, and so uh, we need to continue to pray for them. It's that it'll be a long recovery. It's not just something they're just going to get over after a week. Uh, it's going to take several months. So uh, continue to add those folks to your prayer list and pray for them. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of unsung hometown heroes like those that are coming to respond to these disasters. Uh, our firemen and police officers and other community service are, are unsung. They don't, we don't recognize and praise them enough for what they do for us. Um, but we need to be thankful for them. So when you see one of them this week, uh, tell them thank you. Let them know that you uh, appreciate it because I assure you they're not doing it for the money. Um, and so um, let them know uh, that you appreciate them uh, serving uh, our community. And uh, in Mark chapter 6, we meet perhaps the greatest of unsung and unrecognized heroes the world has ever known. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he has gone out, you remember last week we uh, celebrated Easter, the resurrection, so we skipped ahead a couple chapters in uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but in chapter 5, he uh, is... He, ministering and, and healing folks and uh, shared some parables uh, and now he's gone back home and he did not receive a very good welcome there. Uh, people were not glad and I guess it's because uh, people were familiar with Jesus there uh, in Nazareth uh, and uh, they knew that he was the most unlikely of persons for God to choose to be the Savior of the world. He did not come the way the Messiah 
should have come according to their thoughts. But you remember back at Christmas and in the beginning of the Gospels, um, the Gospel story, we celebrated Christmas. And who did Jesus er, come through? He came through Mary and Joseph. Most unlikely of pairs to be the parents of the Savior of the world. He was born in a relatively small town. Wasn't uh, really a place that was all that important in the grand scheme of the world, and yet that's where Jesus was born. And then he grew up as a carpenter's son in a town called Nazareth, which itself was not the bastion of popularity or the hot spot for things happening uh, in the ancient Near East. Uh, it was just a, you know, uh, and in fact, somebody asked in the Gospels, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet Jesus did not allow people's unbelief, even at the end, as we saw last week, people thought, you know, they cried out to crucify him and to, uh, you know, he was beaten and then hung on a cross. Satan thought he had won. The high priest thought they had won. And yet Sunday morning came and told a very different story. And today, this week after Easter, I want to remind us that the message of the resurrection is still should be very real to us. And it still is very powerful. It should be true in our lives. And the resurrection changed everything including what God has said and called us for. And so let's take a look at Mark chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could, not, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And he called, to the, called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except for a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. 
And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay, um, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so they went out and preached that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so as we go back and we hear about Jesus, uh, and this is still in the early days of his earthly ministry, uh, he had done all kinds of amazing things and word had spread about Jesus and who he was and all that he had accomplished. It became the Sabbath, and Jesus did what any good Jewish boy did on the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue. And he had an opportunity to speak uh, in that synagogue, and as he spoke and taught the scriptures, the people marveled. He said, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this that carpenter? And how is he that he's explaining? In other words, he hasn't been to Bible college. He hasn't gotten the proper ordinations. How can he possibly be speaking these kind of things? And they saw the miracles that Jesus had done, and they heard about many more. And yet they didn't believe. And how sad it is that Jesus, in verse 5, says, could do no mighty work there. But he was able to heal just a few sick folks and to heal them. He could have done a lot more for that city. And yet the people would not allow it because they didn't believe. They didn't believe the testimony of others. They didn't believe Jesus' testimony about himself. And they didn't even believe the things they saw with their own eyes. Men that at one time were crippled that now walked. People that were dead that are now alive. People that were sick that were now well. People that were deaf that could now hear. People that were mute that now could talk. They saw those things. You couldn't argue with those things. And yet they would not believe. Why? I think it really comes down to one thing. And it was something that was very scary for the people of Nazareth. It was scary for the high priest. It was a little bit scary for everybody that was confronted with the truth. And that's this first point, that Jesus brings about change. And people were scared of that. They knew what was familiar, and they knew their traditions. And they knew the way that things had always been, and so it just became comfortable to them. But when you meet Jesus, you can't stay the same. Jesus demands a change. 
He demands that you make a choice. He demands that you decide whether you're going to be comfortable with the status quo or whether you're going to give your life to God and whether you're going to find that this life really is not life at all without God. But when God comes into your life, oh my, what a life you have. And that life that's worth living. It is a wonderful thing to know that no matter what you go through, no matter what I go through, that God is there with us. And so we don't have to be afraid. But we do have to believe. In order for Jesus to bring about the change that he desires, we have to believe. We need to understand that the people wanted, people that were sick, they absolutely wanted to be made well. And some of the ones that came to Jesus and believed, guess what? They were made well. But I'm sure there were many more who said, oh, I wish I could be whole. I wish I could be healed of this infirmity, whatever it is. But I just don't think this man Jesus can do anything about it. And because they didn't believe, God didn't work. And can I tell you, the same is true in our life. When we don't believe that God can do something, we're right. If we're not willing to believe and trust God and obey Him, we're not going to see God do the work that He desires to do. But, if we will just believe and we'll trust Jesus, Jesus will do the work. You see, those that were sick, they couldn't make themselves whole. But how many of us, ourselves, and how many of us know others who are trying to fix themselves? Well, I just need to buckle down. I just need more self-determination. I need more willpower. I need a better spouse. Or I need a raise at, at work, and that would solve all my problems. All of us as human beings are prone to make those I've heard people say to me, and they've said, Preacher, I know I need to get in church and I need you know, to give my life to the Lord, but there's things I've got to get cleaned up first. And the reality is, if you wait to come to Jesus until you've gotten things straightened out, you're never going to come to. Because you can't straighten yourself out and you can't fix yourself. You is what the problem is. But Jesus can fix it. And he will. He said in the Gospels, he said, All you who are heavy burdened, come to me. And I will give you rest. He said, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, the reason that the burden that Jesus asks us to take is light is because he helps us carry it. 
And so when you've got two people trying to carry something, especially one of them is the creator of the world, it's a whole lot easier to carry than it is when you carried it by yourself. How sad that Jesus wanted to do great works in the city of Nazareth and around that area, and yet he couldn't. Not because he didn't want to, but because the people wouldn't allow him. And there are plenty of people out in this world that are our neighbors and our family members that so desperately need a touch from God. And they sometimes know that. But they're not willing to let it. Oftentimes it's because they're afraid. It's a scary thing to say, all right, God, I can't handle this, you handle it. And trust him to do it. It is a scary thing to do that. But Jesus has proven himself faithful time and time and time again. We can trust him. We can know. But understand this, that when Jesus comes, he will bring about change. And so people are uncomfortable sometimes with that. And so people say, you know, listen, uh, we've already seen it in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to see it as we go through the end of the Gospel of Mark. There are lots of people that said, get out of town, Joker. We don't want you here. Get on your horse and get out of town. And you know what he did? He got out of town. Because the people wouldn't believe. And that's really unfortunate. But then we, we hear about not only Jesus desiring to bring about change. We are next told in verse 7 uh, through 13 about 12 men that Jesus had changed their life completely. They had left what they were doing and left their profession and followed Jesus. Now one of them didn't make it till the end. And one of them barely did. And yet Jesus had called these men and he changed them and they saw what he was doing. And then he did something very unusual and something most leaders and those people with power are not willing to do and that ultimately was what the problem with the chief priest was it's not that they didn't understand they knew exactly who Jesus was claiming to be and they had seen his miracles and his works and that should have told them that he was who he said he was but that threatened their power and they weren't about to share their power and so they did him in. But Jesus shared his power. Notice what it says. He said he called the twelve to himself. And he sent them out two by two. And he said, I have given you authority over things. And I want you to go and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to do the works of ministry and the works of the gospel that you've seen me do. Now you go and do it. 
Wow. That is a pretty amazing thing. And guess what? The disciples did it. They went off in groups of two. And they didn't take provisions. They, they didn't put, in fact, Jesus said, don't put any coins in your money belt. Just go in a pair of sandals, just one tunic, and head out. And where people receive you, stay there joyfully, preach the gospel, and where they won't listen to you, leave. And kick the dust off the sandals of your feet. And so verse 12 says, So they went and they preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they went and did what Jesus told them to do. And that's the second thing that I want to see about these unrecognized hometown heroes. Is that Jesus was about bringing change. And then Jesus challenges us to do what you can do. Do what you can do. Well, what can I do? And here's the reality. You can't do much on your own. But with Christ, and when Christ gives you authority, you can do all things. And so what does Jesus want his disciples to do? I think is the same thing that Jesus calls us to do. And it's to go and share the gospel. The disciples did not have everything figured out. They would have been worse than Bible college dropouts as far as their Bible knowledge at this stage in the game. They would get it together later on, but at this stage of the game, they didn't have a clue. But what they did know is they had spent several months at this juncture with this man named Jesus. And they had seen him preach about the kingdom of God. And they saw him preach that God so loved the world that he would receive anyone. And they had seen him cast out demons and he had seen, they've seen him feed the hungry and they've seen him uh, pray for and to heal those that were sick. And so they knew there was something about this man named Jesus. Did they have a solid theology of the Trinity worked out? No, they didn't. But what they did know is that they had met Jesus and it changed them. And that was all they needed to know. And here's the reality, that's all you need to know. You don't need to have the scriptures memorized, you don't have to have all the answers. All you have to know is that Jesus has changed you, that you've had an encounter with him, that you've accepted him as Lord and Savior and he's changed your life. And if that's true of you, then Jesus says to us, go and tell others. Because just as Jesus changed you, he can change others. And just like God used somebody 
touch you and to share the gospel with you, you didn't stumble upon the gospel by yourself. In fact, it wasn't just one person more than likely that was involved in you coming to Christ. There very likely were people that prayed for you and your salvation. There were people that shared the gospel with you. There are people that planted gospel seeds in your life. There are people that watered those gospel seeds that were planted. And then one day, you recognized your need for salvation and found that Jesus was the Savior and that he gave his life on the cross of Calvary to shed his innocent blood for your sin debt and my sin debt and you received that free gift. What a marvelous thing that was. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because people prayed and people shared and people loved you. And so if God used people to love you, to share the gospel with you, and to help you grow in your faith, guess what? God is going to use you to help that happen to someone else. So if God's not done anything in your life, go ahead and just take a back row seat and say, hey, yeah, whatever. I'll... But if God has done something for you, then what he says to you is do what you can do. He didn't say, I want you to go to the synagogues, I want you to give them the you know, three-point sermon and a poem and correct their poor theology. He said, I want you to go and I want you to preach the gospel. And the gospel simply is this. Beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. That's really what the gospel is. The gospel simply is this, that all of us have this disease called sin, and that sin is going to lead to death. But God loved us so much that he came and paid the price for the cure of that. And that cure has been bought and paid for, and all we have to do to experience the cure for that disease called sin is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And whoever does that, the Bible says, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. They say, well, I'm not very good at speaking. More introvert, and I don't really like people. People wear me out. Well, I don't have a college degree. I don't know much about the Bible. You know what God says to you? He says, do what you can do. And here's the thing. God's not going to ask you to do any more than you can do. And he's not going to expect you to do any more than you can do. But friend, let me tell you, he is going to expect you to do what you can do. And you'll stand accountable before him if you don't do it. Now, the results were amazing. They obeyed. People repented. People got healed. Demons were cast out. Lives were changed. Why? Because the disciples were obedient and did what Jesus told them to do. 
They didn't say, well, let somebody else do it. They didn't say, well, we've got to get a committee together first, decide how we're going to do it, how we're going to pay for it. They just did what Jesus told them to do. And God worked it out. You are accountable for being obedient to do what you can do. God is the one that is accountable for the results. God gives the results. The reality is, I hear people say, I got saved by a so-and-so preacher. There's not a preacher in this world, no matter how great they are, that saved anybody. Jesus is the only one that can save anyone. But you have a part to play in others coming to know Jesus. It might be sharing a kind word. It might be praying for someone. It might mean sharing a gospel track with them or sharing a Bible with them or just talking to them about a Bible verse that's spoken to you or maybe praying together with them. Maybe going and saying, hey, you know, you've been on my mind. How can I pray for you? Is there something I can do to help you? Now, they may say, get out of my face, you crazy loon. But they may just say, you know what, there is. And when they say, yes, there is, that's a door to the gospel being opened wide. And then you walk through that door and you do what you can do. And God takes care of the rest. You see, it wasn't the disciples that healed anybody. It wasn't the disciples that cast out any demons. It wasn't the disciples that saved anybody. It was God. And God working. But the disciples had a part to play in it. And church, we have a part to play in God's work in Pearl, Mississippi and around the world. And so he says, you do what you can do. Human nature is we like to make excuses. You know what? God doesn't care for our excuses. And there's not an excuse you could come up with. Where it's, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. You're, you're excused. No. Excuses won't do. God says, you do what you can do. If you can only do a little, then you do that little. And God takes our littles that all of us can do, and he adds them up and he puts what he can do in the midst of it, and then great things are able to happen. And then lastly, this morning, I want us to see and understand that not only does Jesus bring about change, And that Jesus expects us to do what you can do. He wanted his disciples and he wants us to understand there will be different reactions. People will respond to the message of the gospel. They will respond to love differently. Some will be very hostile to it. Some will be indifferent to it. And some will be, will be changed forever by it. They will gladly receive it. So Jesus' instructions to the disciples and to us is as you go and you're sharing the gospel, you're, 
you're doing good things in the name of Jesus, understand there will be some that don't like it. Now I tell you, our world is becoming more and more hostile to the things of God and to Christianity. And yet more and more people are coming to Christ than ever before in history. Persecution tends to bring an explosion of people coming to Christ for some reason. It doesn't make sense. But history has proven it to be so over and over and over again. Jesus says, you go, don't, you know, don't take a sack lunch. Don't take money for a hotel. You just take your staff, your walking stick, in other words, and some sandals and one tunic and go. Well, because Jesus knew that his disciples would be provided for. Because our Heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as Scripture says. Some will, Jesus said, will gladly receive you, stay there. Let them bless you, and you bless them. Some will tell you to hit the road. Jesus said, don't argue with them. Shake the dust off your sandals. And that was a, a sign of, of condemnation. He said, you know what, it's going to be worse for that city, for, for those people that live there, than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember from the Old Testament, were two cities that were absolutely evil. There were all kinds of just evil going on in those cities. God destroyed both of them. not just brought a tornado that affected part of it. He wiped both towns out. Fire came down from heaven and destroyed everything because it was so wicked. And he said it's going to be worse for those houses that, that could have. And why is that? Because just like the people of Nazareth, they could have found Jesus. They could have found eternal life. They could have found healing. And yet they rejected and said, I don't want any of that. Jesus loved them enough to present the gospel to them, but then they had the responsibility to make a choice. And they did make a choice. They said, no, I don't want that. Later on in this chapter, John the Baptist is beheaded. because of his faithfulness to preaching the gospel. And there are many across the world today that are giving their lives for the cause of Christ. It boggles my mind the depravity, the evilness of a human heart that can not only hate someone, but kill someone for doing good. That makes sense to me. Even if I don't like a person, if they're trying to help me and be good, I'm going to be grateful for that, I think, I hope. Certainly not going to have hatred toward them and, you know, kill them. 
Jesus said, hey, people are going to react to you differently. That does, that's no reflection on you. That's their choice. But what does it go back to? He said, you go do what you can do. Understand there will be some that will receive the message, some that will reject it, and some that will even be very hostile to it. But here's the thing I want to challenge us with. Even when we receive those rejections, we still need to love and pray for those that reject the message. Chances are, if you think back to your life, the first time you were presented the gospel, you may not have received it. But thankfully, somebody said, well, let me tell her again. Let me tell him again. Let me tell him a third time. Let me tell him a 20th time. I'm thankful that God is long-suffering. That he is so patient with us. Most of us say, well, I gave him one chance. That was, yeah, I told him. And yet God is long-suffering and patient with us. And so where I was going with that is when people reject the gospel, remember they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the gospel. But sometimes those people that have those reactions are hurting. And they're not rejecting it out of because they've thought about it and they really don't they're they're just rejecting it because they're hurting. And so you continue to pray for them, you continue to love them. As you continue to love them, guess what's going to happen to them? God's going to work in their life and their heart's going to soften. They still may not receive the gospel, but they might. So he says, you do what you can do and leave the rest up to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your word to us. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you change us. Lord, that in itself is a marvelous thing. But Lord, perhaps even more marvelous is that not only do you change us, but then you use us. You put us on your team. In fact, you pick us first. You say, we're, we're the star player. And you allow us to serve you and you allow us to go and to preach the gospel in word and in deed. Lord, if there's someone here today or somebody watching on the internet that's never trusted in you, they've never experienced that forgiveness and new life and change that you can bring, would you help them today to receive that free gift? But Lord, I know there are many who are saved here today. And Lord, I plead with you, help us to do what we can do. God, you have put us where you've put us and you've brought people into our lives not by accident, but on purpose. God, help us to seek to be your hands and feet and mouth every single day. God, may we make a difference in this world for you. 
Lord, help us and open doors for us to do what we can do so that you can come and you can change lives because we know you are ultimately the only one that can do it. Lord, there are people in our families, there are people in our communities, and people around the world that desperately need to be changed by you. And Lord, we know that your plan is for your people to do what they can do. Lord, help us to do that. Forgive us when we fail to do that. God, help us to make a determination right here today that we are going to do differently. And we're not going to try to do it in willpower, but we're going to pray and ask you to help us, Lord. Because really the only way we can do it is you working in us and working through us. God, use us and use this church to be a gospel lighthouse to the Pearl and Rankin County community. Lord, where there's such darkness and so much bad going on, people hurting, going through difficult things, help us to love them, help us to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And Lord, if that's all we know, that's enough. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just have to do what we can do. Lord, help us to do it with your power and strength. Speak to us now. Help us to respond in Jesus' name. Let's stand together this morning. We're singing this old uh, hymn, Kneel at the Cross. If God spoke to your heart, there's a decision you need to make. Today would be a great day to make that decision. Let's sing together. Kneel.